All right, you've all heard the saying, I'm sure, it takes a village to raise a child. And there are many mothers everywhere disillusioned as to where the heck their village is, am I right? <laughs> you know, we, they say that, you know, it's an old saying where it takes a village to raise a child because they lived in the village and everyone sort of, everyone's kids ran around and everyone looked after everybody's kids. And now in the Western culture, we've kind of uh, built fences around our houses and we've cut ourselves off from the, from the natural village that once was. But I want to tell you today that today my message does center around families, but, and it centers around parenting, but at the outset, I want to say it centers around village. And I believe that God created a church family, a church, not just to be somewhere you come on a Sunday, but to be your village, to be your family, to be together. And this village needs everybody. This village needs grandparents. It needs parents. It needs high schoolers. It needs children. It needs toddlers. It needs young adults. It needs everybody to make the village work. And you know what? It centers around growing the village. It centers around us going out from our village and sharing the gospel. It centers around us going and showing people Jesus so that maybe one day they will join our village or our village. This message is for anyone who calls Elam home, everyone who loves the village, everyone who wants someone or need, know someone who needs to become a Christian and be part of the village. There is a saying when it comes to raising children, the days are long, but the years are short. It's a very true statement. It's more true at different stages in your kids' lives, maybe when your kid goes off to school, when they hit double digits, when you have your first teenager, when your first child leaves home, which mine is doing in 12 weeks. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> she probably is like, oh my gosh, 12 weeks. She didn't even know. Um, I deliberately counted for this message, to be fair. I didn't already know. When you have a baby, you are gifted 936 weeks. Look, this thing there is on my wall in my office. So you can find the, child, the age of your child, and it'll tell you how many weeks you have left with them living in your house. Not to be depressing. I mean, that could be really great news for some of you. <laughs> it, could, it could be sad for others. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. It probably depends what day you're asking, you know. <laughs> what week of the month if you've got daughters. You know, like, it might depend on a lot of variations. <laughs> That's not in my notes. <laughs> if I need to say it. <laughs> some days it literally feels like we're going to be in this forever. We're going to be cooking, cleaning, feeding forever, but actually it does come to an end. And apparently, I'm told I will miss the madness. I'm not sure if I'll miss every single aspect of the madness. Just to clarify, if you don't know me, I'm married to Campbell, who's sitting over there. I did invite him to sit with us, but he's chosen not to. <laughs> what does that say? Uh, we have four children, two are in the front row, one is over there, and one is out there. So we're in like every section of the church. <laughs> Not because we don't love each other. We, we do love each other. We just... <laughs> I don't say this countdown to scare you. I share it because I believe that God's given us a duty as parents, but also as the body of Christ, to raise our children to know him. It is the most important thing he's asked us to do. It's easy when raising children to become focused on all the things that need to happen. They need to go to school. They need to wake up in the morning. They need to do homework. You need to wash their clothes, cook them dinner, make, do the housework, do sports teams, activities, have play dates, music lessons, all the things that they need to do. 
all the while while building faith sits quietly over there, silent. There is no sense of urgency. There is no sense that it needs to happen at a set time, like you've got to get your kid to basketball practice at this time because that's when it is. There is no sense of urgency around building faith in our kids' lives. There's no need necessarily that we have a frame work on that says it needs to happen daily, weekly, monthly. It's silent over there and easy to forget because you'll do it later. But sometimes the later never comes. It's not too dissimilar to the colleague that you sit next to and work at work who does not know that you're a Christian, who does not know the most important thing in your life is Jesus. And you think you've got weeks, months, or years in this job, but they might leave tomorrow and they never knew having sit next to you. They never knew about Jesus. Hopefully the most important part of your life. It was Jesus. Came to me one night, you know, when emergency responders go to a massive incident, they don't go to the things that are yelling. They don't go to the people, the things, the people that are screaming, oh, my leg, my leg. They don't go to them. They go to the quiet ones because the quiet things are most critical. The quiet ones are the most risk of dying. The quiet ones making no noise are in the most danger. The thing is, is that the most important thing in our lives is often quiet. It's not a child wanting to be fed or where is my school uniform I need to, where's my PE uniform I put it in the wash and it's not out. It's at the bottom of the dirty washing pile. Oops, my bad. You know, like it's not, it's not noisy, but it's actually the only thing that matters. An internal perspective on our lives is the only thing that really matters. An eternal perspective on our family, an eternal perspective when we go out into the world, when we, when we hang out with our friends, with our workmates, with our colleagues, when we send our children to school, when we're with them, the, all that matters. A hundred years from now, all that will matter is that you had a relationship with Jesus. That your kids had a relationship with Jesus. Doesn't matter what grades they get, what team they make, what job they have, all that matters is that they are saved. The most important often gets sidelined for the urgent. They always have to be fed every jolly day. <laughs> What's for dinner? Oh, that's my job again, right? It's like that, there's a meme out there. It's like I'm mum to cook me dinner, and then I remember I'm the mum, and I have to cook the dinner. <laughs> Not to, to be fair, my family do cook dinner, but I do need to tell them to. <laughs> the silence is the most important. The statistics for children that grow up in the church... In our church, the statistics tell you that 80% of our church kids will walk away from their faith when they go off to university. So if I was to line up, so that only makes 20% of the make, so if I was, which I'm not going to do, if I was to line up young people, is that my fault? If I was to line up 10 young people, statistics will tell you If I was to line up 10 young people, which I'm absolutely categorically not going to do, you could take two of those and say, statistically speaking, they will stay in church through adulthood raising their own children, and eight of them won't. And I don't know about you, but for me as a parent, for me as a pastor, and hopefully for you as part of the village, we say that's not good enough. We say, as for us in our house, we're going to change the statistics. But my question to us as a family, and my question to you as parents, is how? What are we actually doing? What can we actually do?
to change those statistics. So I want to tell you that it's not when they're 12 weeks away from living home. It's now when they're 2, 5, 8, 13, or whatever age your children are. Let's just start now, if you haven't already. I believe most of you have. But There's no way that anything I want to say today is, is, made to, is, is to make you feel bad. What I'm saying today is what I believe God has put on my heart to say. It's something that I have studied, read lots of books about, prayed a lot about, cried a lot about, because I believe it's really important to God. It's really important to God not to create children that know how to tick off a list of morals and rules, but that we raise children that know Jesus that we raise children that rely on him, that call out to him in times of trouble. I said to my three teenagers who are in the room, I'm doing this message on Sunday, and I haven't done a message anything like this since about 2019. So in 2019, you guys weren't in the room. So I just wanted to pass by a few things that I'm going to say to check that it's okay. So I have approval for everything that I plan to say involves them. What does the Bible say about this? I hear you all asking. I am at the end of page two. It's time to definitely bring the Bible, right? I'm glad you asked. I want you to hear what it says in Deuteronomy 6, and I want you to hear that Moses was talking to all of Israel. He was not just talking to the parents. He was not just talking to the people raising children. He was talking to a community of believers. He was talking to the church. He was talking to you. He was talking to the village. That's you. Kids leaders, youth leaders, grandparents, parents, church family, surrogate, aunties, uncles, friends. He was talking to you. Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are in, you're about to enter and occupy. You and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey these decrees and commandments, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in a land flowing of milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Tell them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you go to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands, wear them on your foreheads as reminders, write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. God never intended to be your Sunday activity checklist. God always intended for us to live and dwell with him, for God to be the center of our days, the center of our families, the center of our lives. That's always what he wanted it to be like. And that's what he's saying today. Repeat them to your children. Talk about God. Put God at the center of your lives. It doesn't matter whether you're a parent. It doesn't matter what age your children are. It matters that salvation is on our mind. It matters that when we go out into our jobs, into school, into our extended family that might not know Jesus, 
don't be the, <laughs> I mean, there's a balance, right? <laughs> don't be the one that's like always only talking about God and you can't enter into a conversation about anything else, but always find a way to bring God into your, particularly your life, not necessarily, oh, well, if you just became a Christian, everything in your life would be better. Don't tell anyone that. It's categorically untrue. But hey, I was struggling with this and God did this in my life. When you tell other people your testimony, when you put God at the center of what you're doing, you might be the first Jesus anyone meets. Jesus in you might be the first encounter anyone has with the Lord. All right, I've got five keys that I believe that God told me. Five keys which are... Five keys to raising your kids who will love Jesus, hopefully. But also five keys to showing Jesus to anyone around you. As a side note, I don't know if I should say this. This I did not pass by anyone, but I'm going to say it anyway. As a side note, if you are single and you one day are wanting to raise a family in the church, Marry the person pursuing Jesus, not the person pursuing you. I have seen so many people that I went to church with that were one day on fire with the God, compromise over a boy or a girl. Oh, it's okay, we're still going to go to church. But if Jesus is not the most important thing to your future partner, it will, he will not be the most important thing in your life. He will not be the most important thing in your family. He will not be the most important thing for your children. So anyone who's single should pursue Jesus or should they ever want to get married in the church? <laughs> I did not pass that by anyone. <clears throat> anyway. These keys apply to anyone who's trying to do Matthew 18, the Great Commission, go into all the world, I believe. Number one is pursue him for him. Danny Silk says, imagine our children saying we knew God because we saw God's love in our parents and that equipped us to live a fearless life. God is not ho-hum about you. He's not like, oh yeah, hey Janine, I can take her or leave her. He is like extravagantly in love with Janine. He's not ho-hum about you. He doesn't want us to be ho-hum about him. There are so many verses in the Bible that speak about his great love for you for your children, for your co-workers, for your extended family. John 1 verse, chapter 3, no, 1 John, sorry. 1 John 3 verse 1a. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Yes, this is what we are. Ephesians 3 verse 17 to 19. Then Christ will make home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all people, God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. May you experience the love of Christ through it is too great to understand, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete in the fullness of life and power that comes from God. How great, how wide, how deep is the love? That's like basically really big. We need to pursue him to, for him for no other reason than because we love him. But also because, you know what? Life's really hard without him. I don't know about you. 
I think I've even said this before, you know, there's a meme going around, you're just like, do you really need Jesus to go to heaven? It's like, I need Jesus to go to Kmart, you know? <laughs> I need Jesus to do this parenting thing because sometimes it's pretty hard work. Pursue Jesus for him because you love him, but also because you need him, you, you want him, you can't be without him. You rely on him for everything. Number two is demonstrate relationship with Jesus. If your life does not regularly reflect the joy of your relationship with Jesus, your, ch- your children will have a hard time embracing him for themselves. This is quite hard <laughs> because you live with your children. You don't always display your best at home. Just recently, <clears throat> I said to one of my children, I just need you to give me a minute because I'm just really angry about this and I'm really grumpy and I just need to feel it for a moment. I decided that, that that's my new line. It's much better than just being grumpy at them because of something that's going on in your life, right? I just need to feel this grumpiness and then I'll get over it, okay? Just let me feel it. But I suggest you don't ask me for anything or talk to me right this moment. Recently, I've felt a lot of grumpiness. I don't know, maybe it's my age. Um, and the other day, <laughs> Campbell came home <clears throat> and I was cooking dinner and I had the music really loud and I was just singing really loud, worshipping. Campbell comes and he's like, what, what, is, what is going on? I can hear you out in the street. I was like, poor, poor neighbours. And I was like, oh, I'm just sick of being grumpy. I'm going to choose joy. And he's like, praise the Lord. <laughs> <clears throat> It's really important, obviously, things go wrong in our lives, and we can feel those things, and we cannot be ashamed for every feeling that we can have, but actually, at the end of the day, we have to lay aside the feelings, lay aside the circumstances, and try really hard to choose joy, even when you're not necessarily feeling it. (laughs) He doesn't know how easy he's got it being married to me, really. (laughs) Habakkuk 3, verse 17 to 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vine. Even though the olive crop fails, the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields, the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon heights. I mean, listen to that because we know back then that they relied on their crops. They relied on all those things. They're basically saying, even though I've got nothing, I will still have joy because joy is a choice. And our children need to see, not all the time because we're humans, but our children do need to see us demonstrating relationship with Jesus where we choose joy where we choose not to wallow in our self-pity and the things that are going wrong, but where we choose joy. When everything is terrible, yet will I rejoice, because you know what? When they see that, they can also do that when things are terrible in their lives. Your friends need to see that. I I actually legit had a a friend say to me when my kids were younger and um, Nikita was sick and Life was stressful. I had a non-Christian friend say to me, you always seem like so happy though, even though things are going really badly. And, and that's the conversation I had because of Jesus, because I want to choose joy. 
This isn't a pep talk about parenting. It is a challenge. To look at who we are and where that is leading the people around us to. Not just your children, to anyone you know. We cannot lead anyone where we're not willing to go. I feel like life equipped us for a lot of things. We got taught to read and write, to swim. You probably got trained for the job you're doing, maybe have driving lessons. But when it came to parenting, you literally just had to get pregnant. They gave you a baby. I'm like, here you go. It's so rewarding. See you later. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Cover your ears if you're my children. What about when it's not rewarding? <laughs> what about when it's just really hard? There wasn't any equipping for that, apart from the Bible, which is the most important thing. I feel like that's kind of true, too, when it comes to following Jesus. We go to church, and we get taught about faith, and we get taught about the truth of Jesus, and we get taught, I don't know, lots of things that we preach about. I can't even think of any right now. But we we get taught a lot of things when we come into churches. In your church history, think of all the Bible stories you've been taught, all the things that you've learned But sometimes when it comes to kingdom parenting, to raising children in faith, there's a similar story. It's all right. It's awesome. Children are a blessing from God. Go and have a a shot. Do your best. It's so rewarding. And it is. And it's hard. I'm passionate about equipping parents to raise our children with confidence to know God. God gave us the kids, our kids, he knows we can do it. But at the end of the day, what's the most important thing is their eternity. Not their IQ, not their job, not their sports achievements, not anything is more important than their faith. We're not called to be one and a half hour Christians every Sunday and to tick the church box because on Saturday it was sport and Sunday it was church, tick, tick. Deuteronomy 6 is very clear that it's about instilling faith all of the time. Coming to church is not enough, but come to church as often as you can and bring your kids. We love that you're attending church, but it is more important to your kids that you attend church than it is to us, even though it's important to us. It's more important for your kids' trajectory. There is a statistic, that I don't know what it is. But there is a statistic that says children that are involved in serving in church, particularly on a Sunday morning, but any area of church, are more likely to continue with their faith. It's important that you bring your kids to church. If we taught our children to swim the same way we teach in the Bible, they'd all drown. Knowledge about how to swim is not enough. They need to get in the water. They need to experience them for themselves. Could you imagine if you paid those mega bucks you had to pay to go swimming lessons and your kid never got in the pool? Could you imagine if you sat on the side and you went, this is how you swim, like this, have a breath, and then you went and took them out to the beach and said, here, you've had all the lessons, I paid all the money, get in the water, don't die. They're going to die. If you just tell your children all the Bible stories and all the morals and all the things that they should do and all the checklists, but they never experience Jesus for themselves, they probably won't die but they won't live for Jesus. The primary place faith is lived out is in our home, 
whoever is that doesn't know Jesus, that is either living in our home or frequents our home. Number three. Why not number three and I've got five? I need to go really a lot faster. Don't be perfect. Some of the most powerful moments you can have in life and in parenting is when you don't, not when you get it right, but when you get it wrong. And we go and you seek forgiveness. The core of the gospel is that God loves imperfect people. If we pretend to be someone that we're not, trying to skip forward without, (laughs) while still making sense. If we're upset or angry or wrong someone, if you pretend that you didn't really do that and you just move on, that reflects on God as a Christian. Have you ever been really hacked off or annoyed at something and you want to respond in a certain way and then you go, but I'm a Christian, so I can't? No one? No one wants to admit it. It's not a restriction that is uh, bad. What it is, is a desire to reflect Jesus in the things that we do day to day. My prayer is not that my kids will check off some sort of religious checklist or moral criteria. My prayer is that my children and your children would know Jesus. That there wouldn't be a single situation that they would walk in that they know that, that, that they know that they're walking alone, but that they will always know. I want my kids to know to be bold and courageous because they know who lives inside them. But our kids will not live bold and courageous lives as you, as their parents, or you as their church family are not also doing that. The things that we know that God wants us to do in our lives, as I have throwing out the, the moral criteria, that his commandments, they're his commandments, they're not mine. I want my kids, obviously, to follow Jesus, but I've never said to my kids, you can't do, I've obviously said they can't do certain things, but I've never said you have to do this and this and this and this and this so that you'll be a good Christian. Or because you're pastor's children, so you have to do this and this and this and this. I don't want anyone to judge me. I actually don't care if you judge me. (laughs) I want my kids, your kids, to follow the Bible because they know Jesus, because they're in relationship with God, because they don't want to grieve him. It never worked to tell them what they can and can't do. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion, is a quote from Tony Evans. From the moment I read that quote, it's moved me. It shaped how I parent and me as a Christian. If you have rules for your children, but relationship with your children doesn't come first, they rebel. I didn't say friendship necessarily. I said relationship. They do what you do in thinking about relationship with everybody. <clears throat> because you're a Christian and you, re- you resemble Jesus. You, you present Jesus to people. So with everybody, equally if they think God just has a list of rules to follow, but they never enter relationship with God, they will rebel. Don't we want, I'm sorry if you're on the slides, but I'm messing you up. Don't we want our children to be like Psalm 27, the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating on his temple. For he will conceal me when troubles come. 
He will hide me in the sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. If you know, if we preach holiness to our children or to anyone, but we fail to live up to this lofty idea because secrets out, we're humans. Unless we connect with our children on a personal and humble level, admit our failings and our wrongs, holiness becomes a hypocritical object of resentment rather than a life goal. 1 John 1, 8-10. If we go around bragging we have no sin, then we are fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. But if we own up to our sins, God, know, God shows that he is faithful and just by forgiving us our sins and purifying us from the pollution of all the bad things we have done. If we say, I have not sinned, then we depict God as a liar and show that we have not let his word find its way to our hearts. Don't be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. If you say you're perfect, then you're a liar. Sets unrealistic goals and unachievable goals for our children because it doesn't ever let them fail or let them be weak. The problem with second generation believers is they meet the church before they meet Jesus. And the church is much harder to love than Jesus. That was said to me once and I was like, it's so profound. Let's try and be the church that shows Jesus' love. Our role as parents is not to impress anyone with our ability to parent, but our role is to impress on our children the love and character of God. Number four, real quick, pray and declare. Philippians 4 verse 6, don't worry about anything and said pray about everything. Tell, tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Most nights when my kids were little, I used to pray, God, I pray that they would know, know that, I pray that they would know you and love you all the days of their life. I still pray that if my children just often go to bed before them, so not when they're in bed. I can remember one night my son saying when he was really little, why do you pray that every night? Of course I'm going to know him and love him all the days of my life. He was young enough to not see that anything could come in the way of his relationship with Jesus. But I'm wise enough to know that lots of things try. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. No matter what age our children are, we simply can't wish and hope for our children to grow up to be Christians. We know, we know Jesus. We need to sow, we need to pray, we need to have bold faith, we need to declare it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua 24, verse 15 I'll just go to the end. No, I won't. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose whom you will serve. If you prefer other gods of your ancestors, served by beyond the something, <laughs> you will be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will live. But as for me, and this is Joshua's stake in the, land, in the ground, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As parents, as older generation in this room, you know we know the giants that our children, that the younger generation will face. We can see them. We can see the giants of technology. We can see the giants of morality. We can see the giants of things that are happening. We can see that in a land flowing of milk and honey, that it's harder to rely on God when you have 
everything that you think you need at your fingertips. But we need to be the parents that say with boldness, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's not a nice plaque that you hang over your door into your house. It's a declaration of faith. It's a declaration of your children's future. It's a declaration of eternity. Your children will have the choice, obviously. I've got a Craig Crochelle quote here somewhere. We can't force our kids to love God, but we can expose them to people and experiences. That's not on the slides, by the way. We can't force our kids to love God, but we can expose them to people and experiences that increase their likelihood of spiritual growth. We don't need to be perfect parents. We don't need to be a perfect church, but we need to be purposeful. And our purpose as parents is so massive but nothing more crucial than our children's faith. We don't need to be perfect, but we do need to be purposeful, not just as parents, but as human beings, as Christians out in the world. Be purposeful. Don't just get through your day. Work out what God wants you to do in your day. Choose joy. Can I get the worship band up, please? And can you all stand for me, please? I knew I had too many words written down, but I didn't know what to cut out, so I just had to naturally do that on the fly. So, I know there are many faith-filled families in the room. I know there are many individuals that are seeking God with all of their hearts, and I commend you for that. But I know as a parent, as a Christian, sometimes you need to step back and you just need to sort of assess the things that are important to you. Assess the outworking of things in your lives and your families and your relationships. And so right now I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. And I believe there's some families out there, some couples or individuals or your future family that just need to say, to declare to the Lord as for me and my house we will serve the Lord from this point onwards I'm going to pray that my children would know him and love him all the days of his life from this point forward I'm going to endeavour to show Jesus to my children from this point forward I'm going to endeavour to put God at the centre of everything that we do from this point forward for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.